Hello and welcome to another Facebook Live. Uh, you'll notice that I tried to come in from the side there. I was just explaining to the people on Facebook before I hit record that I'm actually crouched down doing stuff and then it looks weird when I just pop up. So I'm trying to kind of look professional. Anyway, um, this morning I wanted to talk a little bit about the ideas of transference and fantasy. Uh, I've been rereading a very good book by Shizek called The Sublime Object of Ideology. I think it's the book that kind of made him famous in the English-speaking world, and it's a very, very good book. It's a difficult book, but it's very, very good. And um, I've been reading kind of how he explains these concepts. And actually, that book was quite influential to me uh, whenever I first read it. So I want to I kind of unpack these terms. And I want to do it through kind of like a, a parable, a contemporary parable. So I want you to imagine a woman who is uh, you know, looking over Facebook one day and she comes up uh, with this, this advert pops up on her Facebook uh, from Wealth United, you know, how to get rich quick. And the tagline is how to get clients and extract their wealth. And she finds this interesting. She clicks on the link and there's a little questionnaire. You know, what are your skills? What are your weaknesses? Uh, what opportunities do you have in your life? And uh, what are the threats and what are the obstacles that might get in the way? So she thinks about this, fills it in, and she's like, okay, maybe there's something to this. So she clicks another link and it says, okay, for you know, $150, you can sign up and find the you know, 20 secrets to getting clients and extracting their wealth. So she goes, okay, you know, I'll pay that. So she pays the money, she gets the course, and she gets these kind of steps. Um, they're all kind of like, you know, a clean desk is a healthy mind and, um, you know, always, you know, read lots and, you know, assess your skill levels. And she's reading all of these things and ultimately they're not really saying anything. She feels like at the end of these 20 steps, she's not really any clearer. But at the end of the 20 steps, then there's a hard sale. It's like, okay, there's the 20 steps, but if you really want to interpret them and put them into practice, you, know, you should do this course. The course is $250, uh, seven hours, and if you do that, by the end of it, you'll really know how to get clients and extract their wealth. And so, okay, she signs up frustrated, but she goes, okay, I'll give it one more blast. And she does the course. But the course is even worse. It's all these kind of platitudes. And every time you think that there's going to be something insightful, it just ends up being some sort of truism. So she's really annoyed at the end of the course. But then another advert pops up and says, okay, you know, if you want the last level uh, is when you can have a personal consultancy session with the person who you know, set this site up, this guy, Seamus, right? And there's a little video of Seamus going around his farm and she's like, well, you know, there's some very nice tractors there. That looks like a very beautiful field. He's obviously doing well for himself. And those cows, those cows look amazing, look very healthy, right? You know, you know okay, I'm going to do one more thing. I'm going to pay this $300. I'm going to have my, my online session with Seamus. And I'm going to see what he's really about. So she sees the link, how to get clients, how to extract wealth. She clicks on it. She pays the money. And Seamus appears. And after Seamus has talked for a minute or two, she says, hold on a second. She says, hold on. She says, this is just a ripoff, right? 
this, the emperor's got no clues. You don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing behind the curtain. You've just ripped me off. And of course, Seamus smiles and says, ah, now you know the secret of how to get clients and extract their wealth. Right? Now, this is a very basic parable, right? You know what's coming, right? But it's very interesting, the structure. And I want to I interpret it, analyze it a little. Um, two things are going on. There's lots of things going on in the story, but two primary things. Uh, the first is transference. So transference is the idea that you take um, a previous relationship, a type of relationship from the past, and you replay it in the present uh, with somebody else, with an analyst or with a guru, with a religious leader, something like that. But it's a very specific type of relationship. Um, at its most basic, uh, when you're an infant, um, the other, your, your mother, say, is kind of omnipotent uh, and omniscient. She seems to know what you need. She responds to your needs. And uh, if you remember from a previous video, I talked about alienation and separation, but where there's a point where we imagine that our parents kind of know everything. They're God-like creatures. Uh, we, we imagine that they know something, not just small things about the world, but they know how we operate. They know the secrets of our desires, and they can in some way address those. This Lacan calls the subject supposed to know, that there is this other who knows. They don't just know how to build a bridge. They don't know, you know mathematical formulas. Right? They know the secret of our heart. And then as we grow up, uh, we can often transfer that type of relation onto somebody else. So in analysis, the, anal the analyst becomes the subject supposed to know. We imagine that they know the secret of our desires. They know better than we do our, our wants and our needs. That's why we're there. It's not that they're just an expert in a certain field of theory. They have some insight into what will sustain us. And in this story, the woman um, is transferring onto Seamus. Seamus is the one who knows the secret, the secret of wealth, the secret of how to be rich, right? Now, at the end of the story, she realizes that Seamus isn't a subject supposed to know. She realizes that he doesn't have the secret to this grand wealth that will satisfy her, that will take her out of the horror of her life and make everything great. She sees that. And that's called the end of transference or the dissolution of transference. It's where you realize in analysis, for example, that the analyst doesn't have the secret and that nobody has the secret to your desire. That, that is a type of fantasy. So the end of analysis is the end of transference. It's the point when you realize the other, and for this woman that Seamus, that Seamus doesn't have the secret, is not a subject supposed to know. And then the second thing is fantasy. Uh, this woman's fantasy is to get rich, you know, to have all of this money and then be able to escape her maybe mundrum life, right? Humdrum life. Um, so that's the fantasy. And the fantasy is sustained by the adverts, by her clicking and by her doing the questionnaire and then learning the steps, doing the, um, doing the course. This fantasy of money 
is, is sustained by her activity, by her going into this. I mean, maybe she would have clicked on a different advert that would have said, become self-sufficient, you know, go out of the city, you know, live in the countryside. And that would be her fantasy. That would be her way of escaping. But it just so happens that her fantasy here is to get rich. And what you find at the end of the story is that it's called the transversing of the fantasy is she realizes that this fantasy is just a lie, right? There's no get rich quick scheme here. There's no way to, to, to become wealthy by following 20 steps. It's just a ploy, it's just something. And not only is it just a ploy, is it just a game? It's actually costing her loads of money. She's actually giving loads of money in order to find a secret that doesn't exist. Now, of course, technically you can get rich, but what doesn't exist is the the kind of the, the the status that that has, right? You know, this fantasy, if only I could get rich, everything would be wonderful, right? Um, at the end of the story, she realizes this is just a lie. This is what you're selling. Seamus is selling this story of getting wealthy and in doing that is extracting money from her. This is trans transversing the fantasy. It's when you realize that your fantasy object is just a manifestation of a void. It's this impossible thing that you're trying to get that's actually sustained by institutions that surround you. So maybe it's you know, work and uh, you know, adverts and the magazines you read that are, that are all saying that you, know, you need to get money, you need to get rich. And this is this, then you create this fantasy that that's the thing that will satisfy you. But it's supported by all of these institutions that surround you, that you are inculcated into. So at the end of the story, she realizes this, that hold on, this ultimate thing that I want, maybe it would be good or maybe it wouldn't, but it's not going to be the ultimate satisfaction. And this person is not going to be able to give it to me. So that's, that's transversing the fantasy. Now, the reason why I think this is important is this is exactly what I'm trying to do with power of theology. The practice of power of theology is to bring people to a point where they uh, get, get over transference and transverse their fantasy. So someone goes into church and they fantasize that there is this other that knows everything, that knows the secrets of their heart. But it can be secular world as well, and it can be fate, it can be destiny, it can be horoscopes, it can be going to a palm reader. Um, but there is some other who knows, um, who has the answers. And then um, part of the, the whole liturgical structure is to help you dissolve that transference, to realize that the structure that you're, you know, you're, you're projecting onto the church, the priest, the, the pastor, the worship team, they, in a sense, become the embodiment of the other who knows. But through a type of service that embraces doubt and complexity and ambiguity and unknowing and brings that to the surface, you're freed from this, this this big other who knows. And you're also freed from the fantasy that there is something, some ultimate thing that will satisfy and make you complete. Now, this structure is basically something that, that often we're all caught up in. Uh, say in LA, you can see it, people pursuing wealth and fame and looks and all of that in a, in a frantic way. Um, this is the fantasy that needs to be traversed. It needs to be broken open. Um, 
but in the same way, so the, the, in a way, the church then becomes the space that we're freed from this entire form of desire. It's not we're freed from one particular big other, one particular fantasy. It's we're freed from this very structure. This is exactly what I'm trying to do in the book, The Divine Magician, to show how these ideas are not the end of faith. This is not a critique of theology. This is actually uh, the heart of the message. Um, by dissolving transference and, and trans, uh, 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 what's the word, traversing the fantasy, you are able to enter into a new form of faith. And this is what's meant by the crucifixion and the resurrection. So this kind of links a little bit with some of the other Facebook lives I've done. Um, but if you want to go deeper into it, you can obviously get The Divine Magician. Because if you get the divine magician, then you will learn the secret of how to get wealthy, uh, get clients and extract their wealth. Okay, let's see if anyone's got any questions about this. Oh, Seth, is, Seth always quotes interesting people. So this is Adler. It says, transference is basically a maneuver or tactic by which the patient seems to perpetuate his familiar mode of existence that depends on a continuing attempt to divest himself of power and place it in the hands of the other. That's very good. What do, you, do you know all these quotes off the top of your head or you like frantically find them in Google? That's very good. So I didn't know this quote. Adler says, transference is basically a maneuver or tactic by which the patient seems to perpetuate his familiar mode of existence that depends on a continuing attempt to divest himself of power and place it in the hands of the other. That's a beautiful way of saying what I'm describing here, which is our natural tendency is to take that very early relationship where the other knows us, knows our heart's desire, knows exactly what we want, and put it onto somebody else. And this is how gurus, you know, bad gurus, whatever, they make their money. This is how they... Uh, you know, keep us enslaved to, to systems because there's a natural tendency to do that. So the rule of analysis, in a sense, is to help you get over transference. Now, one thing I didn't mention, I forgot to say, is ultimately Seamus knows this. He gets the last line in the story, right? Because he says, ah, now you know the secret. So what Seamus has done is he has allowed this woman to transfer the stuff onto him to... Uh, solidify her fantasy around this notion of wealth and then what he's done is he has divested her of this fantasy um, and made a little bit of money on us uh, for the trouble right so in a sense Seamus is like an analyst you pay an analyst money and they don't they don't divest you of of their fantasy straight away or transference no they use it they allow you to do all of that but then very gradually over the space of analysis, that begins to dissipate. And then the secret is there is no secret. So that's the, you know, the secret is there is no secret. That's the priesthood of all believers. At first you transfer onto the priest who is the one who knows all. And then the priest helps to divest the congregation of that idea through liturgical technology. And then there is a priesthood of all believers because then we take back responsibility into ourselves after the transference is over. Um, Jared says, is transference a natural state? If we are freed from transference to another, uh, will transference map instead onto our ideal self? 
Yeah, that very good, Jared. Like, yeah, it, just because you break transference with one person, like you know, you find out your mum is not perfect or whatever. I remember just my example is when I first actually beat my dad at chess, right? Before, obviously, he was beating me and he taught me the game. But there was one point, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but where I won. Now, the truth is he probably let me win. <laughs> but it was psychically, because I knew when he would let me win, but this felt like a time when I'd actually beaten him, when I actually got him. Maybe he was tired, he wasn't concentrating, and I just made a move and I was able to beat him. So that was a moment when, in a sense, I realized that the other my father was not some, you know, God. Um, it's a very minor thing, but psychologically it kind of hit me. But then, of course, I can put that transference onto somebody else. So, yeah, getting rid of, that's why, you know, somebody gets out of one religion, they say, oh, Christianity, even, I was an evangelical and now I'm not and whatever. And then they become a militant something else. They, what they've done is they haven't broken transference. They've just broken transference with one system and then they brought it into another system humanism or buddhism or secularism whatever it is so for me christianity is not about transferring onto the right object uh which is traditional confessional church says what you have to do is transfer into the right object god but christianity is the breaking of the of the very mechanism of transference so that we don't as you're saying just kind of like put it onto something else even our ideal self Let's see. William says, aren't you just transferring transference onto transubstantiation, Christ in communion? Now, I don't, I, you, I need to hear more from you, but are you saying that, that yes, that, you know, one way of reading this is that we're just transferring onto, instead of, you know, magazines knowing our heart or our family knowing our heart, we can put it into religion and then religion becomes, God becomes the big other. If you're saying that, I think that is what can happen. And that's the very thing that I want to avoid. But I'm not sure if I'm doing your question justice. But, it, but if you're meaning that, I kind of agree that that's what happens. You, you just move from what disillusioned with one other supposed to know, and then you put it into another. Uh, Stephen <laughs> says, would you like to buy some essential oils? <laughs> um, and Guy, would this be Fromm's definition of um, idolatry? It's been a long time since I've read Fromm, so I wouldn't want to say um, in relation to that. My guess is it's close. My, absolutely. I mean, Fromm is psychoanalytically educated, et cetera, et cetera. It's definitely, I think, a really good way of studying or understanding idolatry. Um, that is part of the idol mechanism is transferring onto another supposed to know who then knows our heart's desires, who is a contingent other that we treat as a God. So yeah, very much I think you understand this process, you'll understand what idolatry is in its core, and also actually what I'm trying to do with my work at its core. And Catherine, yeah, when we break transference, we break our own idols. Yes, yes. And it's a very difficult process. This is why, this, like I, um, Entered in. There's a friend of mine, Sochi. Sochi is a, um, an academic here in LA, and she wrote a very good paper um, that was kind of like engaging critically with parotheology. And you can get it actually, there's a journal, um, 
oh, if somebody, somebody smarter than me can find the journal. It's called Modern Believing, and it's a whole journal that's based on paratheology. But her argument was that one of the problems for her paratheology in his practice is that it has a leader or a facilitator or a coordinator, somebody who stands in the role of the person who is supposed to know. And she says, this is the very problem with like the churches. We're always having another who knows. But my response to that essay was that, but the very, that's the very point of the leader, that you need a leader who will divest you of transference, so you have to transfer onto something and either the person is going to be a charlatan who's going to take your transference and use it to screw you or they're going to, like an, a good analyst, is allow you to transfer that subject supposed to know onto them and then very gradually disabuse you, disabuse you of, that, of that fantasy, of that idea. And actually, so in psychoanalysis, you need a leader, but not a leader who is omnipotent, all-powerful, the one, right? I, I agree with Sochi um, on that. But rather, you need a leader who is impotent, who doesn't know, who gradually brings you into the knowledge that they are just a human being. That's why I like the documentary Kamari so much, and I've talked about it, because it's a person who pretends to be a guru and then reveals that he's not. And in that very revelation, many of the people who were following him have this experience of the end of transference and the transversing of the fantasy. So I think Kumari is a good documentary if you want to understand what it means to dissolve transference and to traverse the fantasy. All right, I'll maybe look at one more and then I'll let you go. Uh, Let's see. Sorry, I'm going through here. I'm reading them and there's lots of good stuff here. Let's see. Oh, Kumari. Um, yeah, someone's asking for the spelling. Kumari. I think it's K-U-M-R-I. Kumari. It's a documentary. I'm sure it's on Netflix or something um, about a guy who pretends to be a guru to show how gullible people are. And of course... And it works. So it, 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 he sets it up in, uh, I think it's Phoenix, Arizona, maybe Tucson, in Arizona anyway. And um, uh, people follow him and basically they transfer onto him the subject supposed to know. And he finds out how hard it is to disabuse people of that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and also then they, he sustains their fantasy of like a spiritual practice that will make them whole and complete. And, you know, without knowing, it's kind of a comedic, commentary uh, documentary that actually becomes quite very moving um as as, it, as time goes on when he realizes that uh, these people are real people and he starts to care about them and he starts to feel bad about what he's doing uh, and then of course you have this moment where he reveals eventually that who he is and you see for many of the people this it's the breaking of transference and the transver transversing of fantasy um, and uh, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a powerful and emotional and moving documentary. So I haven't watched it for years, but I, I don't know if it still holds up, but I, I think it's an interesting way of understanding these concepts. All right, thank you for checking in. Continue to ask questions. I can pop in sometimes if I've got time, I'll kind of try to respond to some of them. And uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>